Well, good morning. Thank you so much. You can be seated. My name is Chad Balthrop, and I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm so thankful. Are you excited that we get to be back together face-to-face, both for worship and for groups? That's a wonderful thing. I'm so thankful for that. Uh, How many of you, uh, just will confess right now, you had the opportunity to be in a group this morning? You had an opportunity. That is so awesome. Thank you for taking the risk. Thank you for honoring one another. Thank you for being careful in the way we wore our masks and the way we just, uh, just treated one another well in those things. And for those of us who, who, those of you who haven't gotten involved in a group yet, that's great. I certainly understand. I know these are strange times. I just want to encourage you to consider groups as a possibility, whether it's online or whether it's in person. Just this, this, uh, this opportunity for people to be together is an important thing. And it's not simply important It's not simply important because of some church issue. It's actually important because of the way, I just believe that's the way we're designed. I believe we've been designed to be together. And so I'm so thankful that we've had an opportunity to be able to do that today. And we're going to have a chance to do that uh, in the days ahead as well. We're going to be cautious and and take good care of one another, and I'm excited about that. I'm also excited. Did you notice all the kids on the front row? Did you notice all that? We're so glad you guys are here. Thanks so much for being here. And then let's see, there's students who are in the back row. I think I see students in the back row and some over here. And then we've got some college students on the almost back row. And so I'm just so glad you guys are here. Thanks for doing that. And then I'm just so, uh, I'm so excited about what God has for us in the days ahead. It really is a remarkable time to be a believer. It's a remarkable time to be alive. And I know that as we listen to the media and as we look at politics and as we consider the tensions that are in our society and in our world, and then we just narrow that focus to just our community, at times I just kind of shake my head and have to think to myself, good Lord God, what are you doing? (laughs) And in the middle of all of it, he reminds me, I'm in it. I'm here. I'm there. I'm with you and I'm for you. And And one of the things that's just a remarkable truth to me is that one of the ways I know he's in this community at work today is because you're in this community involved in the work today. And the Spirit of God indwells his people. And he moves in us and through us. And sometimes he moves in spite of us. And, and we, we have a saying that I use. It's almost become cliche that we believe that God's doing something in us and through us that can't possibly be explained because of us. And it may sound cliche because it's, it's got a little rhythm to it. But the truth is that the truth is there. That God in every believer, in the heart of every person, he is doing something that can't possibly be explained because of us. Even if it's something, I would say, as simple or, or as profound as the life that he's given you, the new life he's given you in Christ through the forgiveness of sins and just through the sacrifice and the relationship that Jesus Christ has made possible for us because of his death on the cross and because he rose from the dead. And I'm just so excited about what God's doing in my life and in your life and in the life of our church and our community. And it's a privilege and an honor to be together. And so you heard the passage of scripture that was read this morning to you. That was Casey Long who read the passage. And I'm so thankful for Casey and Clayton. They put that video together to read the scripture to us. But I want to highlight just one other element to that. You heard the flute in the background. That was my lovely bride. She's sitting right over there. She was playing the flute on that in the background. Yeah, that's good. I like that. Go ahead and turn with me to to the passage of Scripture. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 16. That's where we're going to be all day today. And and really, we're just going to spend some time talking about what it means to be together. 
And I, I, could, I could broaden the focus of that to really, why does, I just want you to think about it. Why, why do you enjoy being together with anyone? Why, why do you enjoy that? Just think about that. It's a rhetorical question. Why do you enjoy being together with anyone? You see, we're, we're beginning a brand new series called Together in a Changing World. And, and the reality is that that series is all about us as a church. What does it mean for us as the people of God to come together in any place, more specifically, in this place. Why do we do that? Why does it matter? Why is it significant? And, and I just wonder, why is it significant to you? Why does it matter to you that we come together? Uh, you've heard me tell parts of my story over the past several weeks, but I do feel like that my parents got married on a Saturday and I was born on a Sunday and I was in the pew when it happened. This is what it feels like. And that's what it feels like because there's never a moment in my life that I don't remember being a part of a local body of believers. And that means something to me. Um, it actually means that some of my greatest memories, some of the best things I've ever experienced in my entire life, <laughs> I got to experience in church with church friends and with church family and with church people. And I'm so grateful for what God has done in my life. It was in church that I realized what it was that Christ has done for me, that, that he died on the cross and that he rose from the dead, that he did that so that I could have a right relationship with my heavenly father, that the sin that's in my heart, the sin that hurts me, the sin that I commit that hurts other people, those moments in my own life when I have failed miserably and that miserable failure has caused me to, to disappoint myself or disappoint someone else, that sin has broken my relationship with God and it's wounded my relationship with others. And it's in the context of church that I discovered that Jesus Christ was the one who came, away, came to make the way for those hurts to be healed and for that brokenness to be forgiven. He's the one who did that. For it was in the context of church that I did that. It was a Saturday night one week before Easter that I placed my faith in Christ. Our church was doing some meetings. Uh, we called them a revival meeting, and it was the Saturday night one week before Easter. It was a youth night, but I was a kid, so I was, I was about your age. I was nine years old. Uh, when I'm sitting in a pew. I'm sitting in a, in a pew at my home church, First Baptist Moore, when I'd heard all my life that Jesus was the answer and never really thought to ask what he was the answer to. And then hear the, hear the pastors preaching in a way that finally somehow God gets through and I realize that answer that I just spoke to you, that Jesus died on the cross and he rose from the dead to make a way for my salvation and for yours. And so some of the best things in my life I've ever experienced happened in church. I met my wife in church. I turned around and very suavely shook her hand, right? Hey, I'm Chad. And she held on a little tighter, and that was awesome. Um, and, and the rest is history. Four kids later, some of the best things in my life have happened in church. But because my entire life has happened in church, and because this church, like any church, every church, is filled with people, right? And people are messy, right? Um, there's actually a proverb in the book of Proverbs that says, Where there are no oxen, the stall is clean, but strength comes by many oxen. And the idea there is that if you're going to hang out with people at some part, at some point, you're going to have to shovel a little of something, right? <laughs> because we're people and we're messy and that's what happens. And the, one of the challenges with my life is that at the same time, I can say some of my greatest experiences happened in the life of the church. I can also say some of my most difficult times, some of my most challenging times, some of the things that have hurt me the most have happened in the context of church. Does that make church terrible? Does it make it wrong? Does it make it something that I should run from? No, it means church is human, right? Church is human. It's made up of people like me and you. 
And in the process of God overcoming my brokenness, you know what? He's overcoming your brokenness too. And sometimes that's going to get messy. But the thing that the church has that, that, that the world doesn't have, the thing that this organization has, that this family has, that, that, that any other group doesn't have, is we have the grace of God given to us through the Son, Jesus Christ, living out in us through his Holy Spirit and filling us with his Spirit and with the fruits of his Spirit. And what a beautiful thing it is for us to come together and to live our lives together in such a way that says, I'm going to be faithful to God by being faithful to you. And in that moment when I'm wounded, I'm going to offer forgiveness just like I've received forgiveness from my heavenly Father. And in that moment when I'm the one who's committed the offense, I'm going to ask, please show me grace because I need it. I can be better. And, and I don't get better without the help of others. And so when I think, just in my own personal story, one of the things for, for me in relationship to the local church that's just so significant for me is this is the place. And you all are the people that have helped me not just grow in my faith, but grow in my family, grow in my character, grow in my skills, grow in my competency, grow in everything that makes me who I am. You all have shaped me and you've shaped other people, and there are other people throughout my history in the life of the church that have done that. And I'm just so grateful, and I just want to say thank you for being a part of that. There's another reason why I think coming together as a church matters. Another reason why I believe it matters for us to come together as a church is because we can accomplish so much more together than we can on our own. Uh, and I'm going to use an illustration that is a funny, it comes from a funny place. I was talking to Jonathan about it this morning. In the movie, in, in, the, in the very first Avengers movie, how many of you have seen the Avengers? You've seen that? There's a character named Nick Fury, and, and uh, he's played by Samuel L. Jackson. And it's kind of this moment where they feel like they've been defeated. There's the five big superheroes. You know, there's Thor and Iron Man and the Hulk and all that stuff. And they're kind of, the team's just falling apart. Right? He's, they're just falling apart. One of, their, one of the good guys just died, and they're just falling apart. And Samuel L. Jackson pulls them all together, and he says, I had this idea. I had this idea that I could bring together this remarkable group of people, and that somehow, because they were together, they would become something more. And I'm sitting in the movie theater, and I'm thinking to myself, Okay, uh, Marvel somehow stumbled onto some really significant spiritual truth. It's not new to Marvel, and it's certainly not new to comic books. This idea that God has this plan for you and I. He has this plan for believers that he would bring us together. And that as he brings us together, somehow, some way, you and I, we become something more. Because your strengths complement my weaknesses. And, and, and my strengths complement your weaknesses. And in the tension of life, when my life is just not going well at all, you can lift me up. And when your life is just not going well at all, I can lift you up. We can pray for one another. We can serve one another. We can help one another. We can be there for one another because life is just filled with tension and problem and challenges and difficulties. It's just filled with so many things that pull us apart Yet we find such strength when we come together. We can accomplish more together than we could ever accomplish on our own. And we do that through the power of the Holy Spirit and what God has done in us and through us that can't possibly be explained because of us. Over the past several weeks, we've served food to our community in the food distribution. How many, and I know we've talked about it several times, but how many thousands of dollars? 
$250,000 worth of food. So a quarter of a million dollars of food have gone out from this place right here in this location. We don't get to do that by ourselves, right? Like all by yourself. Anybody in here just got $250,000 worth of food you're going to give away tomorrow? Yeah, me neither. Uh, I've got teenage boys, and so it feels like that many Doritos go through our house in a week. But that's not uh, who we are. But together, we come into this space and come into this place, and we become something more. I think I saw Itzian Gonzalo come in. Is that you guys in the back? Did I see you in the back? Is that right? Right there. There you go. That's okay. I don't... Oh, no, I'm sorry. I just, my glasses are not great when I'm up here like this, and so I'm sorry. But Itzia and Gonzalo were very much an intricate part of that, uh, that process, and I'm just so thankful for everyone who has been participating in that. Jonathan, you let it out so well. It's not something we can do on our own. So why does coming together matter? Well, that's what this passage of Scripture is really all about, Matthew chapter 16. And it starts with this big idea that Jesus Christ is the hope of the world, and the church is his plan for sharing that hope with the world. That's the very first big idea that we see. Just look at that passage of scripture with me. John chapter, excuse me, Matthew chapter 16, verse 13. It says, Now Jesus came into the, uh, the district of Caesarea Philippi. He asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, well, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others say Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And then Jesus said to them, but who do you say that I am? And what an incredible moment that Simon Peter has here. Now, Peter is that disciple, and I feel an awful lot like Simon Peter sometimes, that, that there are times when I get it tremendously right, and I say something brilliant and beautiful, and then there are other times when, just like Peter, I feel like I've just put my foot in my mouth. And I may have just done that a few minutes ago, right? I just put my foot in my mouth, right? And here's Simon Peter, and this is one of those moments when he gets it incredibly right. Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Somehow, way, God had opened the eyes of Peter so that he could see that Jesus was the Messiah. Jesus was the one promised by God to save his people from their sin. And in this moment, Simon puts words to it. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And then Jesus responds, verse 17, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, what an incredible thought there is, because when you think about the church, especially in a COVID season like this, with as many tensions as our nation faces, you might think, oh my goodness, we haven't been able to meet together. We're trying to go online. We're trying to do so many new things in so many different ways. Well, can I just reassure you from Scripture? The gates of Hades, the gates of hell, will not prevail against Christ's church. And there's a reason why. It's because it's built on the rock of who Jesus is. When I was a college student, as a junior in college, I had the privilege of being able to go to Israel. And I wish I had pictures. Nothing was digital back then, so I don't have any pictures to show you. But I got to stand in Caesarea Philippi. And right there in Caesarea Philippi, there is an altar to a pagan god, and it's in this, it's in this mountainside. And I, I don't think it's any coincidence that, that Jesus had taken his 12 disciples to disciple them at the foot of this 
mountain that is this giant altar to a pagan god. They sacrificed children there. They sacrificed animals there. It, was, it had been a place of, of incredible pain and suffering. And they often called the, the entrance to that, to that uh, temple, they often called it the gates of Hades or the gates of hell because so many terrible things happened in the context of pagan worship in that space. Big mountainside, big entrance right there in this big rock. And Jesus is sitting at the, at the edge of this mountaintop with Peter, James, and John and the rest of the disciples. And he looks after Peter makes this great declaration, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus says, you've, you've said a really great thing, Peter. This is awesome. You are Peter. You are the little rock. And then he, I can almost imagine him expanding his thought, saying, and, and here's another little rock. But let me tell you about this big rock. This big rock who is Christ who has died for our sins and risen from the dead. Let me tell you about this eternal truth that the gates of hell will never prevail against. Let me tell you about the Messiah and what Jesus Christ has done for you and done for me. And, and it's like he just kind of opens up and says, this, this is what that truth is. You've got this little truth. You've spoken this little truth. But let me tell you about this big truth. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And it comes through the, the believers who are gathered together to worship him. We are the church. We are the church, and we are designed to be the ones who are carriers of grace, carriers of peace, and carriers of the good news that Jesus Christ is here for us. And, and that's the truth that, that Peter spoke, that, that then Jesus reaffirmed. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, the rock of this truth that Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead. I will build this truth, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. Now it's interesting, if you read the rest of this passage, something happens with Peter and, and Jesus. Uh, Jesus begins to outline, okay, I am the Messiah. You're right. You've got that right. I'm not ready for everybody to know that yet. And as the, at the end of the passage, he begins to outline, here's what's going to happen to Messiah. He begins to tell them that the Messiah is going to go to Jerusalem and he's going to die for the sins of the world. He's going to be crucified. He's going to be abused. He's going to take the punishment and the penalty for your sin into his life. And, and he's going to take that punishment for you and, be, and suffer on the cross at Calvary in your place and in mine. He begins telling the disciples this. And let's just go a little bit further than what we read this morning. Verse 21, for that time Jesus began to show, from that time Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem, this is verse 21, and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside. So Peter took Jesus aside and began to rebuke him saying, far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan, you are a hindrance to me for you are not setting your mind on the things of God but on the things of man. Can you imagine the scene just for a minute? I mean, just imagine walking with Jesus for a little bit. You've just said something really poignant, really profound, really powerful. You've just said it, and Jesus is like, great job, good job. And then the very next thing you say is a correction of Jesus. Have you ever tried to correct Jesus? It says it's not just a correction. It actually uses a stronger word than that. It says, Peter rebuked Jesus. Hey, Jesus, I just think you got this one wrong. <laughs> I 
Have you, ever, have you ever done that? Have you ever thought about doing that? That's exactly what Peter did. And I'd be willing to bet, if you're anything like me, that there's been this moment when you know exactly the right thing to do. And you know it because of his word, and you know it because there are people who have confirmed that, and you know it because you just know as a believer in you, you have the Holy of Spirit working in you, and you're, you just know that this is the right thing to do, but you're just like, yeah, but I'm not going to do it that way. <laughs> it's almost like we step into Peter's spot, where in one moment we've said yes to God, and the next moment we're saying, but I'm not going to do it your way. Yes, God, I want to follow you, but now I want to follow you my way. And not your way. And you know what? Sometimes I think that's the way we treat the church. Hey, God, I want to have faith in you. I want to follow you. But I'm fine without anybody else in my life. I'm fine without any other believers. In this moment, Peter needed someone in his life to say, stop. In this moment, Peter needed someone in his life to say, hey, you didn't get that right. Actually, he was very stout about it. Get behind me, Satan. You're a hindrance to me. Hey, you're killing the ministry, Peter. Right here, you're just killing it. So stop. We need that kind of relationship in our life. When I'm about to walk off a cliff, I need you or someone else who is another believer in my life to stop me from walking off a cliff. When I have walked off a cliff, I need you to graciously help me get back up and take my next step of faith. And sometimes we rebuke Jesus. Sometimes we try to correct what it is he's told us simply because we want to follow our faith. Well, we don't really want to follow, do we? We want to live our faith our way instead of the way God designed us. And he designed us to be together. And that's that first idea, that Jesus Christ, he really is the hope of the world, and the church is his plan for sharing that hope with the world. Now, sometimes we like to use definitions to help us to define things a little bit better. There's a man named Wayne Grudem, who's an incredible theologian. He's written an incredible book, uh, several of them, but one of them is my favorite, Systematic Theology. It's just kind of a step-by-step progression of what does the Bible say and what does it mean. And when Wayne Grudem defines the church, he has kind of two pieces to his definition. And so I just want to show you that. It's going to be up on the screen. Here's the first piece of his definition. He says that the church is the community of all true believers for all time. So when I talk about the church, some of you might think the Catholic church. Some of you might think this local body of believers. Some of you may be Southern Baptist, and you're thinking Southern Baptist or Presbyterian or Charismatic or, or you know, all of those different possible uh, denominations and those kinds of things. But the first expression of who the church is isn't about an organization or a building. It's not about a place. It's about a people. It's about every believer through all of time who claim faith in Jesus Christ, who have trusted in him for the forgiveness of sins and have been diligent in following him with passion and, and with devotion. And so Wayne Grudem is right. The church is the, lo- is, is the community of all true believers for all time. But there's also a deeper definition to that. There's another expression of that. That's the next idea, and it's also Wayne Grudem's definition. A local church is a community of baptized believers who join in covenant together to meet in a specific locality on the Lord's Day under the authority of the Bible and the leadership of elders for the purpose of worshiping and engaging in gospel-centered ministry. In other words, the church isn't just every believer in all of time. The church is me and you right now, Together. It is at some level an organization, 
But it's so much more than that. And what I mean when I say it's an organization, well, it's as simple as this. If you and I are ever going to go eat lunch together, there's going to have to be a little organization, right? I'm going to have to say, hey, you want to go eat lunch? And you're going to have to say yes. And then we're going to have to decide when and where and how much will I eat while I'm there, right? We're going to have to make those. There's a little organization required just for us to all get together in the same place at the same time. So yes, the church is a kind of organization, but it's so much more than that. The church is an organism that is living and that is active and that is powerful. And Jesus come, came and died and loves the church. And so this idea that we get to come together to this space where we get to be the people of God in this community, meeting the needs of the community, sharing the gospel with the community, working together with one another, it's just such a beautiful idea. Over the course of this series, there's a verse of scripture that I hope we'll memorize. It's this verse. It's Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25. And here's what Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 say. And, and here's what I'd like us to do. I'd like us to internalize this message or this verse. It's, it, it says this. It says, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting, uh, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. I hope that this is a verse of scripture that we catch over the course of this series because it expresses the heart behind what we're supposed to do as believers as we come together. Let us consider one another so that we can stir up love and good deeds. Why do we come to this place? Why do we get together? Well, we're looking for ways we can stir each other up. And I'm not talking about with a fight. I'm saying we need to stir each other up towards love and towards good deeds. We need to not neglect the habit of meeting together. Now, here's one of the challenges, especially in this online world. I think, it's re- I think we can gain deep spiritual truth in an online setting. I believe we can have incredible spiritual worshipful moments in the privacy of our home, sitting with our phone or sitting in, the, in front of a computer. I believe we absolutely can do that. But the challenge for us, not just in the privacy of our home, in front of a computer online, but even sitting right here, right now in a room like this, is we can live our lives completely distracted. We can live our lives completely distracted from the truth that God is with us and that God is for us and that God loves us and he wants us to walk with him. I've had these moments when, as a children's pastor, I was teaching in children's church, and there were some kids that were just seemed like they were crawling under the pews, and they never stopped moving, and they never stopped talking. And at the end of the time, I went to them because I was wondering if they caught anything, and, and they were able to say to me everything I had just said. And I'm like, how do you even do that? You never stopped moving. You never stopped talking. I saw your, you started back there, but I saw your head pop up under this pew once. It was amazing. How did you do that? And they're like, I don't know, I just caught everything you said, I was paying attention, even though I was active. And at the same time, in some messages, just like this one, I've seen very respectful parents and adults who have watched my eyes the entire time. And after the service is over, within five minutes, they can't even tell you what the passage of Scripture was that we talked about. And it's because somewhere in their heart and in their head, They're distracted. You can be distracted online or you can be distracted sitting right here in the room. So can I tell you, we have a a goal. I have a goal for you, for me, that whether we're participating together online or whether we're participating together right here in this room, that every one of us in these moments together, that we would move from being distracted to being engaged. 
and that we would move from being engaged to being connected. Well, what does that mean? Distracted to engaged means I'm not distracted anymore. I'm actually paying attention to what's going on. That verse, I said, let's memorize it. I'd really rather us internalize it. That means I want it to be so much a part of us that it becomes sort of a knee-jerk reaction of who we are. That we would be so engaged in the message and so engaged in one another's lives that we know things about one another. Some things that are worth celebrating and honoring and some things that are just tragic that ought to cause us to pray for one another and support one another and care for one another. That's that idea that we would go from being distracted to being engaged and engaged to connected. Connected that we're involved in each other's lives. And then from connected to serving that I would be laying down my rights and preferences so that I can meet your needs more, that I would be laying down my rights and preferences so that I can share the gospel with someone who's not heard it yet, that you would do the same thing for me and that you would do the same thing for people in our community, that we would lay aside our preferences for the purpose of helping people experience the love of Jesus in a way that's powerful and relevant and true. That's who we are as believers. That's what happens when we come together in this place. Now, for our church, there's a unique expression of that. We are one church in multiple locations. We're one church in multiple locations. So when we say together, we mean together here and there and online. We're one church in multiple locations. And I'm so grateful for what God is doing in the life of our church right now because we are becoming one church in multiple locations and in multiple languages. And that's going to happen not just here, that's going to happen there. And that's going to be just a part of the DNA of who we are as believers in this community and wherever God chooses to let our foot fall. That we will be one church in multiple locations and in multiple languages. It's a part of who we are. Well, how does that work? Well, there was a day, there was a day when I met my wife, Londa. And these two families became one family. And even though Today, I'm so privileged she gets to be here with me. I'm so thankful that you're here. But on most Sundays, she's not here with me. She's over at another campus. She's in the Owasso campus because she teaches a a group there. And when she's worshiping there and I'm worshiping here, does that that make us any less married (laughs) in that moment? It doesn't. It doesn't make us any less married. On August 5th, on our 25th anniversary this year, we got to take our oldest daughter to Oklahoma Baptist University and move her in. And there Jaden is now, and she's had a couple of weeks there, and she's had a great time and hasn't really called or written nearly enough, right? You know how that works. Um, But there she is on the campus of Oklahoma Baptist University in Shawnee, Oklahoma. There she is, and she carries my name. And she will never stop being my daughter. We are one family in multiple locations. And you know what? For the past several years, Jaden's been learning Spanish. Now, she speaks it far better than I do, and she's not near to fluent yet. She's getting closer. She's getting better. And soon we'll be one family in multiple locations and in multiple languages, right? That's who we are as a church. We are one family in multiple locations and in multiple languages. And so very quickly, I'm going to run down a list of five things about why to gather matters. Just very quickly, here are five reasons why to gather matters. It's very simple. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 25 says that Jesus loves the church. He loves this group of people. He loves all believers and all times. Jesus loves the church. Ephesians 5.25 is the verse that says, it tells husbands to love your wives. Well, that sounds like good advice, right? Husbands, love your wives. And then it adds, 
as Christ loves the church. Ephesians 5.25, Christ loves the church. And then Jesus died for the church. So the reason why we should be together in a group like this is because Jesus loves the church. Jesus died for the church. That's also Ephesians 5.25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. Jesus died on the cross and he rose from the dead and he did it for you and for me. He did it for the church. So Jesus loves the church. Jesus died for the church. You know what else he does? Jesus builds the church. Jesus builds the church. Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Not only does Jesus build the church, Jesus empowers the church. It's in this place that we find strength together. It's in this place where we become a little bit more like Christ today than we were yesterday. And the reason why isn't because I heard some guy preach. That's a part of it, but it's not the only part of it. And it's not because we had great music, but that's, that's a part of it. But that's not the only part of it. It's because you and I have spent time together. And there's things about Jesus. There's things about this word. There's things about life that you know that I don't know and vice versa. And in this in this habit of being together, we get to stir one another up to love and good deeds. I get to become a little more like Christ because I see Jesus in you and your experience with him is a bit different than my experience with him. So Jesus empowers the church. And here's the last idea. Your life with Christ is incomplete without a connected relationship to his church. Your life with Christ is incomplete without a connected relationship to the church. I want to turn, you don't have to turn there with me, uh, but 1 Corinthians, it really says something remarkable about who we are. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12, it says, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, now, well, that'd be really strange. <laughs> if the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. Through you, through the people of Calvary Baptist Church, for generations, God has done something miraculous. In my life, through all of the different people I've been associated with in, in churches around Oklahoma, God has done something miraculous in my life. And today, I believe that the reason why you're here is because God wants to do something miraculous in your life. It begins as we place our faith in Jesus. And it continues as we live our lives together as a part of his church. Let's bow our head and close our eyes for just a few moments. 
in just a moment, the music's going to play, and as the music plays, we're going to have an opportunity to respond. And so maybe this is an opportunity for you to pray for your church if you're already a believer. You could come forward to this altar, you could stay right where you are, and you could just simply say, God, bless my church. Thank you for the opportunity we have to be together. For the people who haven't come back yet and who plan to, I pray that you'd bless them, God. And maybe you could pray that God would, would bless those people who are watching online and that he would give us an excuse, again, even online digitally, to be together. That we would be iron sharpening iron. That we would be better because God has put us together and we're serving the fruit of the Spirit to one another. Those are all things, as a believer who's a part of this church, that you could pray as this song is sung. You could do it at the altar. You could do it at your seat. But maybe your first step of faith isn't necessarily about joining a church, an organization, or coming to a building. Maybe your first step of faith is simply to say yes to Jesus, to place your faith in him and to trust in him for the forgiveness of sins. If that's something you'd like to do today, I want to give you a chance just in the quiet of this moment to just look at me. Just make eye contact with me. I'll take my glasses off so I can see better. (laughs) That's weird. But if you need to place your faith in Jesus Christ and you want to know more about what that means, just make eye contact with me. I'd just love to see that and be able to pray for you and to know that. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. To place your faith in Christ is really so simple. It's something that God's doing in you already. And it's you simply saying through a prayer, Heavenly Father, I trust in you for the forgiveness of sins. Please forgive me. I know that Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead. So you can can pray something like that right there at your seat. And here's what I want to ask you to do. When this service is over, find me or Bruce Kobler or Jonathan or even someone you know who goes, a Sunday school teacher here, someone you know who's a friend who brought you here. If you want to place your faith in Jesus Christ, as soon as the service is over, come see me or one of us and just let us know. I've got some questions about that. I'd like to talk with someone more. Let's pray together. And then as we sing, let's respond to our Heavenly Father. Father, we love you. We're grateful to you for all that you've given to us and for the privilege of being together. Father, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.